Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, February 24th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The Biden administration considers punishing Russia for the SolarWinds hack, and people in the UK are dusting off their suitcases and booking holidays now that they've seen a plan to exit lockdown. Plus, HSBC is moving the heart of its banking business to Asia. The FT's banking editor talks about what's behind the shift. But first, Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell indicated that the central bank would stick with its ultra-loose monetary policy to support the pandemic-stricken U.S. economy. The economic recovery remains uneven and far from complete, and the path ahead is highly uncertain. We'll take a look at how investors responded. I'm Mark Filipino. Here's the news you need to start your day. Fed Chairman Jay Powell spoke to members of the U.S. Senate Banking Committee yesterday. He said there was hope for a return to more normal conditions, given the ongoing vaccinations and the drop in COVID cases and hospitalizations. But we're not out of the woods yet. So Powell indicated that the Fed would stick with its ultra-loose monetary policy and asset purchases. I'm joined by the FT's Washington Bureau Chief, James Politi. James, Investors have been worried about inflation since it could hurt stock values, and and they they look to the Fed for reassurance. Would you say that it calmed fears considering that the Nasdaq started the day yesterday way down and then ended the day only down about a half a percent? I would say it did work. Powell's effort to sort of minimize the risk of sharply and unhealthy spikes in inflation this year essentially translated into his commitment to keep loose monetary policy going for the foreseeable future. Some of the things that he said, inflation dynamics didn't change on a dime, and that uh, sort of the Fed still viewed essentially a disinflationary trends, which have been predominant in the last few decades, as sort of the dominant force that would be hard to, in a way, overcome. James, uh, Powell has been a big cheerleader of fiscal policy over the past few months. Biden, of course, has this $1.9 trillion plan on the table that could get passed in the next few weeks. What did Powell say about fiscal policy yesterday in front of the Senate Banking Committee? Well, he remained very neutral on it, which is quite a difference uh, really compared to his guarded but pretty clear statements last year when he was really encouraging Congress to pass more fiscal stimulus. Of course, a lot of that stimulus then was, you know, approved, a new round was approved in December. And so at this stage, Chair Powell has been, you know, a bit more circumspect and really back to sort of the Fed's traditional thinking on fiscal policy, which is that that's something that the politicians need to uh, resolve and, uh, and deal with. In fact, I mean, Chair Powell was, you know, asked uh, point blank by Senator Kennedy, a Republican from Louisiana, if it would be cool uh, for the Fed, quote unquote, if they didn't pass the stimulus bill. And Powell sort of very diplomatically responded that if he had, if he said it was uh, cool or uncool, he'd be taking a position on it. So he wasn't going to do that. James Politi is the FT's Washington bureau chief. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me. EU officials earlier this week announced plans to impose sanctions against Russian officials over the jailing of dissident Alexei Navalny. Now, the U.S. is taking tough actions against Moscow, too. The FT reports that the Biden administration is planning a broad package of measures, including sanctions, to punish Russia for the solar wind cyber hack. 
The cyber attack was discovered in December. Hackers were found to have hijacked and then inserted malicious code into SolarWinds software updates. The attack directly affected at least nine federal agencies and 100 companies. U.S. officials have said that the attack was likely of Russian origin, though that hasn't been confirmed yet by intelligence officials. Moscow denies any involvement in the hack. Also yesterday, executives of some of the companies affected by the hack told Senate Intelligence Committee members that the attack may have been broader than previously thought. The travel industry's taken a real beating during the pandemic. But the outlook was sunnier this week, at least in the UK and Europe. When UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced his plans to ease part of the country's lockdown, he said that international travel could possibly resume. And despite the big if, people did not waste any time making travel plans. Companies from hotels to airlines enjoyed a surge of business. Europe's largest tour operator, TUI, said that bookings for holidays in Greece, Spain, and Turkey from July onwards were up 500% week on week. Thomas Cook said travel on its site leapt 60%. Shares in UK-listed travel groups also jumped yesterday. But Moody's was a bit more cautious. The rating agency's senior vice president said a recovery in the travel industry could be derailed by concerns over new COVID variants. The global banking group, HSBC, is shifting more of its focus towards Asia. It was founded in Hong Kong more than 150 years ago. The name stood for Hong Kong Shanghai Banking Corporation. More recently, it's been headquartered in London. But the bank's been struggling with profitability and politics. The FT's banking editor, Stephen Morris, has been reporting on its strategic moves and joins me now. Stephen, you cite one HSBC executive as saying the chairman's job is 80% politics and 20% business. Uh, what did he mean by that? Well, HSBC has, is probably the company most caught in between this emerging sort of east-west, US-UK versus China war of words and, and, and increasingly a trade war as well. And the CEO just a few weeks ago was pulled up in front of Parliament to explain why the bank had released a statement in support of the national security law imposed on Hong Kong by China and why they had been closing down the accounts of pro-democracy activists in the city. So as a result, really the chairman and the CEO's main jobs are to try and navigate these tensions without annoying the Chinese where the future of the bank is, where it generates all of its earnings, while still remaining in the good books of their UK home regulators and the US authorities. Because after all, this is a trade bank that deals primarily in US dollars. So Stephen, yesterday, HSBC said its profits dropped by 50% in the fourth quarter, but it's still going to, to restart dividends. And the bank's planning to expand in Hong Kong, China, Singapore, and India. Uh, where are they going to get the money for this? Well, yes. What was so interesting about what they said yesterday was HSBC is going to attempt to cut 40% of their head office footprint in London and Hong Kong. Not in their main headquarter offices in the seafront in Hong Kong. And of course, in London's Canary Wharf, they have a big tower there. But rather in the peripheral offices, they're going to try and break leases and introduce a more flexible working model over the next few years to dramatically cut their real estate expenses. And in terms of the growth and wealth management, they want to hire 5,000 new wealth advisors out in Hong Kong, Singapore, and other places. And where they're going to get the money to do this is by taking out some of the bureaucracy at their head office in London. But they're also going to cut back their investment bank. 
HSBC has been a perennial underperformer in global investment banking, despite the number of people it employs in the area and its global footprint. And they're basically saying in an era of ultra low interest rates, we would prefer to put our money in wealth management, which is, of course, reliant on fees rather than underlying global interest rates, which are either negative or next to nothing in many of their markets. Stephen, I know HSBC is in a bit of a unique position, but could we see other banks uh, follow suit and shift more of their operations to Asia? Almost every bank in the world is trying to bolster their Asian arms, be it in wealth management, investment banking, wherever they can, because the underlying economic growth and, and I think the margins out there that you can make on selling investment banking products are just that much higher. The other bank, which we will see later this week on Thursday, is Standard Chartered, also based in London, also reliant on Hong Kong and Singapore for almost all of their earnings. And it is an increasingly pressing question for executives there where the best place for that bank is to be based. And there's also a question about who's running the bank. HSBC and Standard Chartered have both been criticised for a number of years for having primarily Western educated, brought up executives leading these institutions and not having as many people with a deep knowledge and cultural background of Asia, both on their board and in their executive ranks. And we're starting to see some attempt by um, the boards to address this imbalance as well. Stephen Morris is the FT's banking editor. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. And before we go, yesterday we reported that rapper and entrepreneur Jay-Z had sold half of his high-end champagne company to the luxury brand conglomerate LVMH. Well, today we have news of another beverage that has Jay-Z behind it, Oatly. The Swedish oat milk company said it had filed for an IPO in the U.S. Oatly sells other non-dairy vegan products besides oat milk. Jay-Z is only one of several celebrity investors who could enjoy the sweet taste of an IPO. Others include Oprah Winfrey and the actress Natalie Portman. FT sources say Oatly's looking at a listing in New York, and the valuation could be as high as $10 billion. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., 